So I think the question is, why do you work? Because I wonder who else has the experience where you're working all month long and then you just get paid, but then it like feels like the next day, it's gone. And what happened? And then I still got to go to work the next day, knowing that all I'm doing is working to pay my bills. And like we, we get to this reality in life where we realize that the only reason I'm working is to pay my bills. Like I'm working to pay someone else. And like all the money that comes in my account, like I just, you know, at the end of the month, I feel like I deserve something, right? Like don't I deserve something too? And so yes, I know I can't afford those shoes now, but I have the money in my bank and I just kind of want to go get them. And so we have this like tug of war, don't we? We've got this tug of war for, for like work and comfort. Like on the one side we know, we, we've got to work, we've got to put in the hours, I've got to grind, I need a salary in order to live, I need to get money in order to live. And then this other side is like, doesn't all this comfort look so attractive? Like you look, it's like, I've got to go to work, but really that couch, oh man. Uh, there's a cozy couch and it's a cold day and there's a good book and there's a new series to binge and maybe today I can beat my record on Subway Surfers. Maybe today I can spend three hours on TikTok. Maybe today I can just play Xbox. Maybe today I can sharpen my golf game. Right, and so there's this tug of war. We know we have to work, but really what do we desire? We just desire comfort. We desire, isn't like the dream of most people's lives is to like not have to work. We even like think of these plans and these strategies and we're like, oh, you know, maybe my third side hustle will just become residual income. You know, maybe that investment will take off and I can just retire young and just like do nothing. And wouldn't it be so, isn't that like part of the goal of society is like, I just don't want to have to work because work is hard. And I wonder if scripture speaks anything into this desire to just not work. Like we know we have to, but is there anything in Scripture that speaks into this internal longing for comfort and to just do nothing? Well, actually, it's quite a big theme of Scripture. And this book we're studying together in Proverbs, it's a major theme of this book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs gives it a name. In fact, it gives it a few names, all meaning the same thing. The one is sloth. Everyone say sloth. The other is sluggard. Sluggard. Isn't that a fun word to say? Look at someone and say, don't be a sluggard. Sluggard. Another word it uses is lazy. Another word it uses is lazy bones. And it all talks about the same thing. This desire to just do nothing. Like this desire to just chill all day, all week, all month, all life. Like, do I really have to work? In fact, we're going to see that uh, it turns out this is quite a big deal to God. And the book of Proverbs is going to show us several warnings for what happens when we adopt a life of laziness, when we pursue a life of laziness, when a life of laziness is, in fact, our goal. And our dream. What happens when we're lazy? 
Well, let's read it together. If you have your app with you or a, a Bible app or a physical Bible, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to start in chapter 6. It says this in Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 11. Take a lesson from the ants, Solomon says, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor all summer long, gathering food for winter. But you, you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Who's the Bible talking about here? Talking about lazy people. Lazy bones. None of you, right? No. No one in this room. But you know these people, right? The, the Hebrew word is this word, atzal, and it means sluggish, to be like a slug, you know, to like just move in slow motion, to be unmotivated or to be lethargic. If you had to give it a good definition, here, here it is. A lazy person is someone who hates work. Just hates work. Just never wants to work. And who does Solomon have in mind as he's talking about these lazy bones? He's not talking about the unemployed. Let's be clear. He's not talking about those who are unemployed but desire work. What he's talking about those who are employed but don't desire work. Those who are employed but are disinterested, unmotivated, and disengaged. And come on, let's be real. You know these people because you live in South Africa. We see that like we're known for this. We're known to have employees and teams that are unmotivated, disinterested. I mean, the amount of times that I've gone to a place and I've walked up to into the reception area. And I know the receptionist doesn't know me. And I don't know her. But I also know that she instantly hates me. Like, she instantly, like, what are you doing here? I was watching YouTube shorts. Like, why, why do you want to be a client to this company? Really, I was having a good time. Why do you want to support our business? Right? Like, we know what it's like. Come, guys, we know what it's like to be stuck in a queue and you're watching the people behind the counter and they just don't care that you're in the queue. They're catching up on the weekend news. They're moving as slow as they can. Why? Because all they want to do is work for a paycheck. That's their motivation to work. As long as I can, as long as I can hold on to this job because I've got all those bills I need to pay. Okay, so that's really why I'm here. I'm just trying to hold on to this so that at the end of the month I can pay my bills and maybe do something fun for myself. But... I, I just want the paycheck. That's really my motivation. And so, even if you're a Christian, you can be sluggish at work. Let's just be honest. In fact, I've had business owners tell me before they never want to hire Christians. Because of how they, because of their lack of work ethic. And I've had Christians tell me before, no, work is part of the curse. You know, I don't work because it's part of the curse. Well, actually, it's not part of the curse. 
Do you know that when God created mankind, one of the first things he did to mankind is give them a job, which means, by the way, that work is part of the perfect world. Before the fall, before sin entered the world, before the snake in the garden, man had a job. Listen to this in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Right after man and woman were created, so the Lord God placed man in the garden to lie on the sofa and watch all the sunsets. No. The Lord God placed man in the garden to tend and watch over it. He had work and responsibility before the fall, which means work is good. Work is holy. Look at someone and say, you were created to work. And this is a truth. You were created to work. And so if that's our default creation, like, why do we struggle? Well, we struggle because of the, the fall. It's a struggle, the toil of work that came with the curse. But work itself on its own, it's a good thing. And you were not created to lie back on the beach every day. You were created to work. All of us were. So where does this laziness come from? If that's my design, where does this come from? Well, laziness is actually rooted in desire. It's a deep desire for comfort. In fact, it can be the worship of comfort. The idolatry of comfort will produce laziness. When I'm so in love with comfort, it actually produces, it's a, it's a byproduct of the idolatry of idleness. Here's how Proverbs says it in Proverbs 26, verse 14. By the way, all these verses about lazy people, it, it just definitely feels like Solomon's like taking a jab, like he's ripping them off. Like I just love his analogies. Here's one. Proverbs 26, 14. As a door swings back and forth on its hinges, so a lazy person turns over in bed. Right? Some of you, this was you this morning. Alarm went off. Snooze. Goes off again. <laughs> like as a door moves on its hinges, this is how a lazy person is in bed, right? Why? Because there's movement, but there's no progression. Like you're moving, and you can even look like you're busy, but you're not moving forward. There's no action. There's no fruit of your work. Just like a door, there's movement, but there's no progression. You're not going anywhere. Uh, I read a poem this week that I thought, man, this is so good. I love how it explains uh, people just not going and not doing anything. They look busy, but they're not doing anything. Here it is. Someone who goes to work and says, I've gone for a drink. I've sharpened my pencils. I've searched through my desk for forgotten utensils. I've reset my watch. I've adjusted my chair. I've loosened my tie. I've straightened my hair. I've filled my pen and I've tested the blotter. And then I've gone for another drink of water. I've adjusted the calendar and I've raised up the blinds. I've sorted out all the erasers of all the different kinds. And now I can finally sit down, but oops, too late. It's time to quit. <laughs> it's time to quit. I, I find it so true of people who are pursuing comfort is in the pursuit of comfort they can even sometimes look like there's busyness, but there's just no progression. Like they're not really doing anything. And so Proverbs then goes on to tell us some of the characteristics of someone who's going to be lazy. 
and I want to share some of these. So the first is that a lazy person always makes an excuse. Look at someone and say, they always have excuses. This is so true of a lazy person. Uh, this is how the Bible says it in Proverbs 26, verse 13. The lazy person claims, there's a lion in the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. Okay, this is a riddle. What's it telling us? That a lazy person is always going to try to come up with some reason not to work. They're going to be, have a life of excuses. Why they can't do the things they know they should do. Why they can't meet that deadline. Oh, my nose is a little bit runny today. I don't think I can come in to work. And, oh, you know, I was going to do that project, but maybe I'll just, you know, do it tomorrow because I've got all these reasons. And this is why I couldn't go to church. You know, I opened the, blind, the windows and I saw mist in the road. Actually, well, well done, you guys. Like, there was mist this morning, and you're here. Give yourselves a hand. So good. A lazy person would be like, oh, there's, you know, there's a lion in the road. Like, I'm just trying to find an excuse to not do it. Like, oh, I was up late last night, so let me not spend time with God this morning. You know, I've got a reason. I've got an excuse. And so we can't even believe our own reasons and our own excuses. And a lazy person's life is marked by this, and they never move forward because instead of, thinking of ways to actually do what they say, all they do is dream. And all they do is talk. But they never actually put any of it into action because they're full of excuses. Second characteristic of a lazy person, according to Proverbs, is a lazy person doesn't finish what they start. Look at someone and say, they don't finish what they start. Proverbs 24, verse 30 says, I walk by the field, this is Solomon now, I walk by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. And I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds. The walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. And then he quotes the same poem from Proverbs 6, that a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Solomon is seeing someone who started his vineyard. He started with the planting and he had good intentions, but he just couldn't complete. He couldn't finish. And because of that now, everything's overgrown. The walls are breaking down because he wasn't willing to finish the thing that he started. And that is a sign of laziness. Lazy people don't finish what they start. In fact, the, the analogy that Proverbs starts to get, get pretty ridiculous. Let me read some of them to you. Proverbs 12, verse 27. It says, lazy people don't even cook the game that they catch. I mean, this is someone who's put in the effort to go and hunt. Right? They've put in all that sweat, and they've crawled through the bush, and they've got their bow and arrow, and they've tracked it down, and they've shot it. But right by the good part, where they get to actually eat the meat, and they get to enjoy the reward. No, they just don't follow through. They had those good intentions going into it, but they just never really get to the end of the project. And probably the most ridiculous is this in uh, Proverbs 19.24. Check this out. Lazy people take food in their hand, but they don't even lift it to their mouth. Right, you, just, you just picture someone. I've seen people like this, right? Just picture someone in the morning the bowl of oats, put the TV on, 
and an hour later, you walk past them and nothing's changed. Uh, you know people like that? What about those people that sit in the toilet? And you need to change the toilet roll. But instead of changing it, you're just like, put the new one on top. <laughs> Guys, you, you can do this one sitting down. Like, you don't need to move. You just turn your body. You could probably count to five and it's done. Like, bloop, in the dustbin, new one in there, right? But I just, no, I just, I can't get myself to do it, right? It's just an extreme lazy, I just can't even start what I finished. Like, yeah, I got the new role, but, but I ain't going to put it there. Like, there's no, no chance. It's a sign of laziness. They're full of excuses. They never finish what they start. Third thing, a lazy person lives an unfulfilled life. And this is when we start seeing the tragedy of laziness. Their lives have no fulfillment because they never can complete any tasks. They never get the reward of completed tasks. And they never find fulfillment in the purpose that God has given them because there is so much fulfillment in living in your purpose. But they're missing out on all of that. Listen to how Proverbs says it. In Proverbs 21, 25, he says, despite their desires, and they have desires. I mean, they'll talk about their desires all the time. They're just waiting for someone else to complete their desires for them so that they can reap the hard work of someone else's desires. But that isn't how it works, guys. You reap what you sow. And so they'll talk about the dreams and the hope someone will hear their dreams and say, well, let me do that for you and you will get rewarded. But ah. Life doesn't work like that. They, despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin for their hands refuse to work. They're just not going to put it in themselves. They're not going to action it out themselves. They're just hoping someone else, hey, I'll come up with the ideas and maybe I can get a team to do the work for me. Well, despite the, your, all of your desires, you're going to come to ruin because your desires and your dreams and your talking and ideas actually mean nothing until you put it to work. With your own hands. Proverbs 13 verse 4. Lazy people want much. But they get little. This is part of the tragedy. They want a lot of things. It's not like they don't have desires besides comfort. They have desires. They're just not willing to put in the work. Not willing to put in the effort. And so they end up restless unsatisfied, unmotivated, frustrated in life, full of all these desires. I wish I had, I wish I could, I wish I did, but never actually doing. And guys, that's really the risk of laziness. There's a risk to it is that you could get to the end of your life and we could all come to your funeral with very little to say, to come to your funeral and say, well, they really enjoyed resting. I mean, I really, I really was impressed at how they could get out of work. Like, any time there was pressure, like, uh, all people can get to the end of your life and, and, and see the purpose that God had put in you. See how you fulfilled that and walked that out. In fact, 
the tragedy of laziness, and I think why God speaks against it so much, is it really violates the reason you created, which is, of course, exactly why the devil wants to tempt us with comfort. He doesn't want you to accomplish that purpose, but Ephesians 2 tells us that every single one of us were designed with good works in mind that God prepared in advance before you were even born. He prepared these good works in advance, and the tragedy is that you miss out on your one shot at living. You, want, you miss out at this one chance to fulfill your purpose. This gift of life is rejected because you're pursuing comfort and convenience. And so laziness is a rejection of this incredible gift. And so you have this life of excuses. You're, you're never fulfilled and you're never finishing anything that you start. And thirdly, <laughs> You'll know this to be true if you've ever had a lazy person in your team. The fourth thing is a lazy person brings destruction to their team. I'm sure we've all had that experience as a kid needing to do a group project at school or varsity, and there was one kid who like did nothing but one of the grades, and you just wanted to go to the teachers and say, they did nothing, you know? Brings destruction to the team. In fact, This is how the Bible says it, Proverbs 18, verse 9. One who is slack in his work is a brother to the one who destroys. In other words, the slacker is related to the destroyer. Brings destruction and frustration to the entire team that they're working with. I was amazed this week. I came across a study, and uh, I just, you know, every time I see these studies, what, what amazes me is that it's like social science is catching up to what the Bible's already been telling us for thousands of years. And all these things just keep proving the Bible to be true. And so here's what the study said, and it was an intensive study. They studied 11 companies for over 58,000 hours. And here's what they found. (laughs) If you are working within eight meters of a lazy person, Within eight meters, so you regularly at work, and the person that's a poor performer, brings the least, you know, isn't truthful, never brings their part, delays everything. If that poor performer is within eight meters of you, it affects your work efficiency by 15%. You, just by being in the presence, work, work for action, sorry, Let me rephrase the study. I've done it the wrong way around. If a good performer is within eight meters of you, it increases your work performance by 15%. So if you have a high performer sitting within eight meters of you, you're not working any harder, you're not doing anything different, but just by being in their presence, eight meters, your work ethic and And what you're outputting to the organization goes up 15%. It says even your average salary goes up 15% just by being within eight meters of a top performer. But if you are within eight meters of a poor performer, your work performance goes down 30%. 30, it's double. 30% decrease in your work performance and 30% decrease in the average salary just by sitting within eight meters of a lazy employee. It's so true what Proverbs says. 
That the, the worker who's lazy on a team is a brother to destruction. They literally will destroy your team. And that brings us to the last point, the last characteristic of a lazy person. And this is for anyone who's ever hired people. If you've ever been a manager or a team leader or a business owner, this one's for you. Is that a lazy person frustrates their employers? It says this in Proverbs 10, verse 26. I'll, oh, the Bible's so direct, I love it. Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in their eyes. Ever been around the campfire and you're sitting there around the braai and the smoke goes in your direction and it chokes you and your eyes are tearful? That's what a lazy person on your team feels like. I don't know how many of you have kept vinegar in your mouth. That would be odd. I'd want to know why you did that. But vinegar is acidic. And so it brings incredible pain and discomfort to your teeth if you leave it there. And so the Bible is saying that's what it feels like when there's a lazy person on your team. It's like they're just going to make you cry and bring you incredible pain and discomfort. And when you start looking at everything a lazy person does, what you realize is that the reason laziness is so anti-godliness is because it affects people around you and it becomes an unloving act. It's unloving to be lazy. And God's love is what we're about. You don't look like Jesus when you're lazy. And that's what we're about. You don't honor people when you're lazy. And that's what we're about. You can't be a representation of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You can't be an ambassador for Christianity and be lazy. Because then you don't look like Jesus. And you don't represent the kingdom. And you're violating love. And this can go to such a level that even your boss, for a lazy person, they might come and they might try correct this behavior and like rebuke you and like bring in a disciplinary. But the truth is, if you're lazy, you just don't care. In Proverbs 17 verse 10, it says, A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. <laughs> Ever had that boss that's had to correct you? And then again, and then again, and again on the same issue, and again, and there's just no change, and again, and again, and again. For a person of understanding, it just takes one correction, and they adjust, and they submit, and they change. But for a fool, that employee has to go back again and again. Please, 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 stop, 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 change, change, change. Come, come to the body, come. Right? It's like a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. And this is a result of laziness. Why? Because the reason I work is just to get my paycheck at the end of the day so I can pay all my bills and spend some money. The reason for my work is wrong. And so how do we turn this around? Because clearly idleness doesn't honor God. In fact, this might surprise you, but one of the reasons that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah is because of idleness. We often list their sexual sins, but that was one of them. It was for their sexual sins and for the sin of idleness. That's why God destroyed that city. They were just too lazy. It's a big deal to God. How do we turn this around if we are struggling with laziness in our lives? Well, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 11. It says this, never be lazy in your work. Look at someone and say, never be lazy. But it says, serve the Lord enthusiastically. 
This word enthusiastically in the original speaks of this burning passion, a burning desire. Serve the Lord with burning passion. Serve the Lord with burning desire, red hot passion. And you know, when you have burning enthusiasm for your work, did you know that it's contagious? It rubs off on others, but only real enthusiasm, not fake enthusiasm. Right, the painting of a fire never warmed anyone. Right, the imitation doesn't do a thing, but the real thing warms, the real thing's contagious. When you are enthusiastic about your work, it rubs off on other people. Ephesians 6 verse 7 says, work with enthusiasm. I'm gonna pause it there on the screen. I wanna say, you might be looking at this saying, how, I hate my job, I hate these people, my boss is awful, I don't get paid enough, I don't get vacation days, I'm not valued where I am, they don't even see me, my job's a drag, they, the leadership's a mess, like, you might have all the reasons, like, how do I work with enthusiasm? Well, Paul says, he tells you how. As though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. So do everyone frustrated and disinterested and unmotivated in your work today, here's my question to you, who is your boss? Who are you working for? Who are you clocking in for? Because when you bring God into the picture, suddenly everything changes. And this is scripture's encouragement and instruction to us. Bring God into the picture. Don't forget who your boss is. Don't forget who you're working for. You might be pushing papers. Well, now push papers for Jesus. Send that email for Jesus. Go to that meeting for Jesus. Get that sale for Jesus. Sign that contract for Jesus. Look at someone and say, do it for Jesus. And guys, when we really do it for Jesus, how can we not do it enthusiastically? When Jesus becomes my boss, well, now I'm a little bit more concerned about sending that email on time, right? Now I'm a little bit more concerned about being respectful to the people around me because Jesus is my boss. Do you want him to call you in for disciplinary? Like, no. Like, gee, I'm doing this for Jesus. Yes, your boss might not be nice and your team might be awful, but you're not working for them and you're not working to get paid. You're not working for that salary. You're not working so that you can have a payday and then pay your bills and have a little bit of fun. The motivation for your work changes when you're doing it for Jesus. I'm working because work is good, work is holy, I'm made to work, and I will do this for God. And guys, we don't just do this for today. We don't just do it for fulfillment now. Even though it does bring you far more fulfillment now when you work hard, you also do it for the future that lies ahead beyond this life. Because here's something we hear and learn, we learn about in Scripture. We're saved by grace, yes, not through works, so that no man can boast. That's clear in Scripture. So you're saved by grace, not by works. But the moment you are saved, your works count. You're not saved by those works. You're not saved because of your works. But the moment you are saved, suddenly everything you do from the moment of your salvation is going to be evaluated on judgment day. Everything's going to be measured up. The Bible says there's things you can do right now that are for man. And on judgment day, when that's burned up in the fire... 
It won't remain. It's going to be like straw, going to be like ash. It's going to mean nothing. But everything you do that's for Jesus will be like gold and jewelry, and you will be rewarded based on what you did for Jesus. Now, imagine you could convert a third of your life because you spend a third of your life at work. Imagine you could spend, convert a third of your life into a mission field for Jesus, a servant serving Jesus, like a third of my life now counts for what I do for Jesus. Let's read this together in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 12. Anyone who builds in that foundation may use a variety of materials. And this is what your life can produce as you're living, as you're going to work, as you're going home. God sees some of what you do as gold, some of what you do as silver, and some of what you do as jewels. In other words, some of what you're doing for God during your day, he sees as valuable. Then there's other things you do for him that he sees as wood and as hay and as straw. And on judgment day, it says, the fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And the fire will show if a person's work has any value. And it's not going to be because you hit your target and you met that deadline. It's only valuable if you did it for Jesus. When you hit that target and when you sent that email, did you do it for Jesus? Suddenly you're transferring it from straw to gold. He says, but if the work is burned up, listen to this. Uh, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. So whatever's left over, you're going to be rewarded on eternally. But if all the work is burned up, in other words, from the moment you got saved, you did nothing for Jesus. Nothing in your life was for him. All your work is burned up. There's nothing left. It says the builder will suffer great loss, and it will be a great loss because you'll realize your whole life meant nothing. There's nothing to show. Your entire existence on earth will just be ash. And the builder will be saved. Okay, so you're still saved because you weren't saved by work, so this isn't risking your eternity. But your salvation will be like someone barely escaping through the wars of flames. <laughs> Guys, there's two ways to get to heaven. The one is with a red carpet and a celebration and a welcoming party. The other is to go there smelling of smoke with holes in your clothes and your eyelashes singed from the wall of fire. You barely got there. You scraped through by the skin of your teeth and you had nothing left to show. How are you going to get to heaven? What are you doing for Jesus. And when we say that, we don't mean like, yeah, everyone should become a pastor and join a church and do ministry. No, the whole idea is that your life should be a ministry wherever God has placed you because there's going to be people you can reach in the mind that will never go to a church. There's going to be people you can reach in the doctor's room. There's going to be people that you can reach at the hairdresser. Like the whole idea is your whole life is now for Jesus. That's what Jesus teaches. He teaches us to embrace discomfort not embrace comfort. Look at someone and say, get uncomfortable. This is the instruction Jesus teaches. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, this is what you have to do. You have to give up your own way. Oh, you got to give up your comforts. Give up convenience. You got to give it up. You got to take up your cross every day. I'm going to take up my cross. In other words, I'm going to embrace discomfort. And I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what he says. I promise you a lot of obeying God will be uncomfortable. A lot of it. 
including working for Jesus rather than your boss. It's going to be uncomfortable. But I'm going to put aside my own desires. I'm going to pick up my cross and say, I'm doing this for the Lord. It's not about my comforts. I'm dying to that. Every day I'm dying to that. I'm dying to my needs, picking up my cross and following Jesus. And so the cost of laziness is a wasted life. And while you're wasting that life, you're frustrating everyone around you. It's unloving to the people who live with you and work, work with you and employ you. It's not a representation of Jesus. And so perhaps you're listening to this and maybe you currently, you hate work. You hate your job. You are just working for that paycheck. You're trying to think of how do I turn this around? Well, again, I think Jesus becomes a beautiful example to us because there's a moment where Jesus had a task at hand that he didn't want to do. In fact, we find him in the garden. He's facing the cross, and he, he's saying, gee, God, if there's any way. Like, he didn't want to go through that public humiliation and that pain and that torture. No one would want to go through that. He was willing because of his love for us and his love for the Father. But there's this interaction in the garden where he comes, and he says these beautiful words in Luke 22. And for those of you struggling with your employment, I want you to keep this in mind. Can you pray these same words about your job? Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. God, if you're willing, I would love to not walk through suffering, but ultimately, it's not about my want. It's about your will. And if your will is for me to be here in suffering, I'll stay in suffering. That's a prayer Jesus prayed. That's the example he set for us. And guys, I need to remind you, just because something is hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Sometimes God leads you through the valley. He leads you through suffering. He leads you through discomfort. But when something is difficult but also necessary, now it requires discipline. And when something in your life is difficult but necessary and you escape to comfort, you are shortcutting everything God wants to do. Because here's the final truth I want to share with you. You cannot grow in comfort. You only grow in discomfort. So those of you who love your job, you probably aren't growing right now. But those of you faced with a difficult team, an impossible task, a boss you don't like, a job that overwhelms you, you're probably going to find a lot more room for growth. You cannot grow where you're comfortable. And so God, who's interested in your growth, both spiritually and personally and emotionally, will often lead you to places of discomfort so that he can grow you. It's by design and it's on purpose, but if you shortcut that every time because the suffering is too hard and you pursue comfort, you miss out on the growth. Stay in the suffering until God moves you out, not your will but his will be done in your life. You know, it's a great opportunity for growth. A job that you absolutely hate. That's a great opportunity for growth. You know, it's a great opportunity for growth. A boss that is completely unreasonable. Man, you're going to grow and grow. You know what's a great opportunity for growth? When someone employs you, they don't pay you your worth. They don't see you, they don't praise you, they don't acknowledge your efforts. Great opportunity for growth. 
teammates you can't stand, wonderful opportunity for growth. A project you don't have the budget for and you're not qualified for, wonderful, great opportunity for growth. Now you can grow if you do it for the Lord. But if you don't do it for the Lord, you're going to become lazy. You're going to make the excuses. You're not going to finish anything you start. You're going to be unfulfilled. You're going to be a complete devastation and frustration to your teammates and an irritation and a pain to your employer. Do not be that person. Be the light in the dark. Don't add to the darkness. And it all comes through us saying, when I wake up in the morning, Jesus, work is good. I'm not going to try. I'm not planning on, not planning my whole life on checking out of work. That's not my goal. Work is good. Work is holy. And today, I do it for you. And you keep me here as long as you need me. Because not my will, but your will be done. Don't be lazy. And please don't work for money. What a waste of life. Let's all get to heaven with a big chunk of our life once it's burnt up, remaining. We say, God, I did all this for your glory. And God looks at it and says, it was valuable. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and make your home with me. That's my prayer for you. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for every worker you've designed in this room. God, I thank you that you have created us with purpose, that we're not made for nothing. That in fact, that God, there's good works in advance you were wanting us to do. Lord, I pray for every frustrated employer right now, every frustrated employee, every business owner, every teammate, God, everyone who's struggling with laziness, I lift them up to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would learn to do this for you. We wouldn't try to do this for the person we don't like or the teammates we don't like or the job we don't like, but that instead we would do it for the God we love, the Jesus who saved us, the one who redeems us the one who calls us to lay ourselves down and pick up our cross just like he did and follow him. God, I pray that us as Christians, that we would have such incredible reputations that business owners would fight over trying to find a Christian to hire because they would understand, God, that we work for a higher purpose and a higher calling, that our work ethic and our integrity far exceeds that of the world. God, forgive us where we've looked just like the world and lived like the world and being an employer and a teammate like the world. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us to use our life and to do everything we do, not for men, but for you. We work for you. You are our boss. We want to honor you with our lives. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.